Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24-7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on-demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this session of the Lateral Property Management Podcast. I'm Ethan Lieber, the CEO of Lateral, and I'm here with our guest today, Bob Preston. Bob is president of North County Property Management Group in San Diego, and we're going to be talking about sharpening your competitive edge in a large market. And there's no better person to talk about this with than Bob. Um, North County Property Group has been named the best property management company in San Diego by the San Diego Business Journal for the past five years in a row. Um, North County Property Group also averages on Google 4.8 out of five stars, which for any management company is unbelievable. That almost sounds magical. Um, And Bob also runs a podcast called Property Management Brainstorm. Um, So if you like what you're hearing from Bob, go check out his podcast there. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and dive into how North County Property Group has achieved all their success. Uh, Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, Ethan. uh, Thanks so much for having me. We were trying to remember when we talked last. I think it was when you were on Property Management Brainstorm. You were one of my guests. So that's right. And then we actually met face to face at CalNARPM. And before the episode here started, I was joking around letting you know that I've taken the role as president of CalNARPM. So that's pretty cool. So anybody out there listening from California, please, uh, we want you in CalNARPM. And by the way, I just got back from vacation. So if I'm a little spunkier than normal, hey, you know, you're going to have to give me a break on that one. But anyway, (laughs) so yeah, hey, California property managers, we want you in CalNARPM. We have a great conference planned, either virtual or live in March, one way or another. And uh, yeah, it's all good. So thanks for having me today. Bobby, you're spunky and you've got this nice like Ah. tanned glow. Oh yeah. Well, that's what happens when you get to go on vacation. You know, (laughs) even property managers get to go on vacation, right? I want to give a shout out to you and say NARPM has been an incredible resource for affiliates like Latchel too. So if you're not a part of NARPM and you're listening to this, definitely go check them out. Um, But yeah, Bob, let's give folks kind of an idea of who you are and a little bit of background on North County Property Group. Sure. Yeah. I have one slight correction uh, as we start to talk about this. San Diego Business Journal didn't rate us as the best property manager. They don't do that. They they have the top property management list, top property managers list. We were on that list, but they rank property managers in several different categories, one being doors. Mm-hmm. Where we rank number one is in the average property value is $1.25 million. That's tops in San Diego County. No one's cool. even close to it. So we have the highest average property value of any property management company 
here in San Diego. So, you know, that tells you a little bit about our portfolio. Um, lots of times when I go to NARPM events or when I meet someone like you, Ethan, they might ask, well, how many doors do you have? I, I kind of hate that question, to be honest, because to me, it's not so much about how many doors you have. It's about how much you can earn in terms of property management fees or gross profit off of each property. And so we have, uh, since the very beginning, we've focused and targeted the higher end of the market, and that's part of our strategy. Mm. I think that's one reason we continue to make these lists year after year and kind of have that top ranking. Well, is there, maybe you can uh, answer this question because I'm I'm curious, is there something about the, the type of properties you're bringing into the company that make it different when you're looking to get positive reviews because four point out of five stars is incredible. Yeah, it could be. When I started the company, North San Diego County is a huge area to cover, right? And when I started the company, this goes back 20 years now, I live in Del Mar, which is part of, if anybody's familiar with San Diego County, North County Coastal. And so I didn't necessarily want to be driving out to East County and all around. And at the time when I started the company 20 years ago, it was just me. So I focused on the I-5, Interstate 5 corridor of North County, San Diego, um, right along the coast between Del Mar and Oceanside. And that's a pretty affluent area. There are a lot of coastal properties that kind of fit our niche. And, uh, you know, really high net worth individuals own those homes. And I think they appreciate the services that we bring. And that's been kind of one of my philosophies. If you're going to jump into this business, you got to go all in. And you have to bring it, you know, in terms of your customer service. And I think that's one of the ways we've been able to achieve um, our positive ratings. And I got to I gotta tell you, I mean, uh, I know you're not supposed to solicit reviews necessarily or petition to have them come in. But mm-hmm. I always tell my team, hey, if somebody gives you a compliment or says nice job in an email or conversation, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, it would make my day if you would go to Google and uh, put that in writing, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And we have a little thumbs up and the thumbs down icons on our emails, right? On our email yeah. signatures. And so we encourage it, but it's not like we go out soliciting them. But yeah, you're right. We've had a pretty good uh, record with our reviews. You know, what's interesting that I find is that the negative reviews, um, people all also really appreciate because some of the things people say about us are kind of viewed by the public is being ridiculous. <laughs> and if we can answer those negative reviews and respond in a level-headed way that the consumer or our potential clients can relate to and understand, Ooh. it goes a long way towards building trust. You'd be amazed. You know, sometimes we'll go in on new client meetings and they'll say, God, I read that review and your response to it was so great, so level-headed, so professional. Good on you. I can't believe that. You know, so I, I think sometimes uh, we get upset when we get a negative review, but it's a good opportunity to show people who are kind of watching your reviews um, how you handle yourself, right? And, yeah. uh, and maybe in a not so great situation. Who on your team handles the the follow up to those negative reviews? Who I do personally, yeah. So you're personally going on to Google or Facebook or wherever it is, and no question about it. You know, and it usually starts something like, wow, um, I'm disappointed. We have a discrepancy in our perspective on this. However, you know, and then I kind of go into why we view things a little bit differently. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a really important part of 
you know, the social media aspects and making sure you get positive reviews. I did want to point out too, that since we started the company focusing on North County, we've now expanded into San Diego County as a whole. We have another office. Our headquarters is in Del Mar still. We have another uh, office that's a satellite office in what's known as the Golden Triangle area of San Diego, which is where the <laughs> several several freeways uh, converge and forms this triangle. So it's kind of mid-city area of San Diego County. Let's maybe like uh, come back to your, your background and the company. Let's rewind 20 years. Tell us a little bit about you and how you even got into property management. Oh, man. Well, that's a good story if we have time. It's one that I like to tell because it does reveal a little bit about me. And um, there's a little vulnerability in here, too. So I hope that's cool. Um, yeah. So for those who don't know me, I'm a former Silicon Valley chief marketing officer. So I can relate to what you're trying to do, Ethan. Uh, I yep. work for a number of different startups in Silicon Valley. I lived in Los Gatos, um, loved it on the peninsula, helped two companies go through public offering. Neither exist anymore. One was bought by Intel. The other was kind of split up between Xerox and Adobe. So is, but, this was like around the dot-com? Yes. Yeah, dot late, late 90s, right? 20, yeah. more than 20. Yeah, more than 20, a little more than 20 years ago. And I loved it. My career was, you know, I was kind of chasing the next great idea. But I had this personal situation that was tugging at my heart. I have or had, I still do have them, uh, three kids from a previous marriage that were all kind of middle school age at the time. And uh, it was just really tugging at my heart. They were here in San Diego. And so I was flying back and forth, uh, trying to live in two different cities, kind of commuting. And that was difficult to have a social life. And I just found myself not being as into it in Silicon Valley as I should because I had this thing, you know, this gap in my life and tugging at my heart, wanting me to come back to San Diego. Mm. So I made a really difficult choice. I decided to jump off the Silicon Valley treadmill, uh, move back to San Diego. I can, looking back on it, I can tell you it was the best decision I ever made, but didn't really know what I was going to do. Didn't necessarily have a job. You know, it was just like, hey, I got to go do this. Uh, fortunately, financially, I was in a position to make that happen. And so I landed in San Diego. I had some of my own rental properties. I was doing some consulting, looked around for a property management company, couldn't find anybody that I could trust. For the most part, I thought that they were all archaic. And mind you, this goes back 20 years, right? Using sticky notes and notepads and Excel spreadsheets. And, stuff. and of course, coming from Silicon Valley. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. So I just couldn't relate at all. So I decided to self-manage. And I'd got my real estate license like when I graduated from college. So I, you know, I was licensed. Um, and then I had some friends along the way ask, hey, will you manage my property? And well, well I, to do this legally, I got to get my broker's license. So I got my broker. And this all started like in my bedroom with a Schedule E sole proprietorship, right? So yeah. nothing fancy at all, but like kind of one by one, I started doing this for friends. And then I guess it was around 2011. I'm like, okay, I, I really like this. I have a passion for properties. I always liked high tech, but you know, it just, uh, there was something about it I, I couldn't really always sink my teeth into. And this I had a passion for. I like working with people. The collaborative aspects of it are still incredible and in helping people solve their problems. So I decided, you know what, I'm all in on this. And, um, you know, since that time, I've built the company brick by brick and no, all through organic growth. I've never purchased a portfolio, have never 
purchased any other properties. And here we are today, you know, one of the top companies in San Diego County. By the way, one of those kids I told you about that was in grade school, middle school now works for me. He's our director of property operations, Brett Preston. He's killing it. So, you know, another benefit for having moved back to. (laughs) I I had the awesome opportunity of meeting Brett too when we met at Cal Narpum. I appreciate the vulnerability too. Um, to give us kind of a look behind the curtain at what was going on in your life at that time. Well, I got to tell you, sometimes when I tell the story, I get a little emotional. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, you're, I was having this great career, but, um, you know, sometimes there are things more important than how much money you're making or what position you're in or where you are in your career. And that was a crossroad of my life. And, you know, I obviously made the right decision and now I love what I do. I mean, I come to work every day. I have the energy to get up and come in and hit it hard and uh, just, just love what I'm doing. I'm just curious about this journey. Once you started building the company, did you always love it or did you, was there sort of like this precipice where you hit a point and said, now I love it. Wow. Okay. You're going to, you're, you're, you're digging for more vulnerability here, aren't you, Ethan? I think that that's what you're. you're, you're um, well, I'll, I'll give you some more. Part of the reason I'm asking is to. I'm just, just kind of. I'm just kind of kidding. I, I do want to understand more of like. Uh, well, I am curious, personally, how you were feeling as this grew, but I'm also curious if there were certain types of hurdles and obstacles that you maybe struggled to overcome as you built one of the best property management companies in San Diego. Absolutely. Um, When I was in Silicon Valley, I was given this book and this book's like 25 years old. It's called Built to Last. And it was given to me by my boss at the time. It's by two Stanford GSM professors, James Collin and Jerry Porras. And the principle in the book is that um, strong companies build themselves based on some timeless principles. Right. So when I was starting up, I just felt that it was important to start the company based on some guiding principles, core values and kind of doing things the right way. Even though I was a startup, self-funded, didn't have a lot of money, um, just felt that it was an important part of running a company. So if I was going to do it, I was going to do it the right way. And there were times when, you know, we hit hit the wall or I was doing things in a way that I felt was correct or in best practices in property management, but it wasn't having an impact on our business. And so it gets kind of frustrating, right? Anybody who's started their own company, I'm sure you've been through this yourself. You're sort of doing all these things. And sometimes you feel like you're in the hamster, you know, the hamster wheel churning, 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 nothing's happening. Then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you, you take this jump, right? And all that work that we put in those hurdles, you called it all of a sudden, whoa, okay, wait a minute. Now something different has happened. You know, we've taken this step. So I kind of equate starting any company, including a property management company, is climbing a flight of stairs, right? You sort of go for a while. You may hit a wall. You take this jump, a quantum leap, if you will. Sometimes you're jumping two, three stairs, but you're going to a different level. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in building the business is that when you do that, when you take these jumps or these leaps or you, you know, skip a couple steps, then things can break, <laughs> right? Yeah. So these processes, these legacy ways of doing things no longer are working. And as the CEO, I can look around the office or I can just sense it. Either people not working as efficiently or maybe 
the level of customer service has dropped. Like when you and I talk, when you're on my cool. podcast, we we're talking about SLAs, right? Uh, the SLA dropped or things happen. You can, you can start to sense it. And then that's the time where you have to dig in and say, okay, uh, I've got to reinvest in some processes here or maybe some new tools, some technologies that will help us kind of make that next, <laughs> next hurdle to that next step, if you will. So hopefully that makes sense. I think that the tough part with it, um, you know, you, you gather all this industry knowledge, you look at like best practices and over time, the best practices become standard practice. And what was the best loses its competitive edge, right? Because in a way it becomes standard. And in a way it sounds, you're talking a little bit of that. You get into these grooves, you develop these processes, but then over time, as you're looking at things, you're like, why does it feel like now all of a sudden we've stagnated a little bit? Why aren't we, yeah. why aren't we continuing to, to level up? Um, were there any like plateaus you hit that felt extraordinarily hard to overcome or that you felt uh, maybe you were, were actually like preventing you from even being able to grow the business or like accumulate positive reviews? I don't think there was any extended period of time, but there were so many instances of, okay, wow, time to adjust, time to make some changes mm. that I can't even count them. I would say that probably the biggest had to do with staffing and personnel and um, realizing that the people that I had hired as the company grew were not necessarily the same people that were going to get me to that next, mm. over that next hurdle, over that, up that next step. Um you know, some people and their human nature don't like change. Well, I'm all about change. I'm growing, I'm growing a business and to grow a business, one thing's constant and that's change, the old adage. And so, especially in this business where you're being offered, like, you know, like yourself from Latchell, you're, you're, you know, one of our NARPM affiliates, there are these plethora of solutions and technologies and things that people can take advantage of to make mm -hmm. your company more efficient. But every time you introduce one, there's change in the process and the way you do things in the company. And people have to learn that there's some people who love that, who adapt to it quickly are very capable. Boom. You know, on to the next thing. Oh my God, this is wonderful. This is the best thing. And there are other people that are like, eh, you know, I don't want to change using my sticky notes and my Excel spreadsheet. Right. So um, it's interesting. I think that's, those are probably the biggest hurdles had to do with personnel dealing with that. And then, you know, in some cases the need to, I guess, let people go that I knew couldn't kind of carry the weight kind of up, up to that next level. You know, one thing I, I've, I'm hearing and reading between the lines here. Um, so the first thing, the thing you said about change, how you're always looking to change to improve. We have like a little motto we say at Latchell, we just say you can't get better by staying the same. It kind of means the equivalent thing, right? If yeah. you don't try new things, you're always going to stay the same. But what I'm kind of reading between the lines, and it seems like it's almost part of your, your personality and your, your kind of entrepreneurial nature, that you have this, you have this like hunger about you, like this, you, maybe you could call it like an ambition that if, if you're always looking to, where can I make changes to improve this? How can I get, you know, move this lever up? Where can I level this up? You, you obviously have like this motivation and hunger to continue driving your business forward. It, 
I think in property management, especially like at, you know, that's, that's hard to maintain that level of motivation and, and hunger because property management can be incredibly difficult. So I'm curious if you have any like tips or thoughts just for listeners on how to maintain that level of like ambition and hunger when things get tough. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I am a pretty um, motivated guy. I always have been, you know, I put my all into it. And I think one of the hard things for me is not um, setting the expectations too high for my staff because of the way I am, you know, I expect Ooh. everybody should be that way. Damn it. You know, and uh, that's not always, that's not always the case. Um, so I guess um, my, my tip, if, if I had it is just, you know, start by doing the right thing. And I go back to that built to last book, doing, doing the things that in the long run are going to get your company to where you want to be. I remember in, I think it was 2013, 2012, uh, we finally had enough momentum and enough properties where I could open an office <laughs> and start hiring employees. And the tenant before us had wallpapered the, which the room that became my office with this whiteboard wallpaper, you know, that you can write mm -hmm. on with yeah. racer marks. And I looked in there and I'm like, Oh my God, you know, so a guy who's motivated like I am has an active mind and loves to write things down. I mean, I went nuts, right? This whole wall was just covered at that point in time with all the things that I wanted to accomplish at the company. And I can remember there must've been like 25 columns and each column had a had a title at the top, which was some sort of strategic initiative or area of the company that needed improvement. And then there was a numbered list uh, down below. And as we would hit those benchmarks or, or accomplish that goal or implement that strategy, whatever it was, you know, I'd take it and erase it. Yeah. And then there was a, um, I'm, I'm trying to recall this board. I have, I have it burned into my mind. I have pictures of it too, along the way. There's in the upper right-hand corner, there was this little area called, you know, new ideas. And Every now and then I'd get some burst of uh, energy or I'd, I'd so, uh, this aha moment. I call them nuggets and I'd jump up out of my desk, get out of my chair and go to the whiteboard and I'd write it down, you know, and then eventually it would it would be added to one of the columns, you know, in, in the list. I was constantly redoing it. And so, you know, that was my driving force for, God, about over two years. And eventually the whiteboard came down to a you know a couple pages in a notebook. And then today... Mm -hmm. It's uh, I'm still a list guy, but I can keep it manageable in a list of maybe, you know, 10 to 20 items that I keep just by sending myself a refreshed email every day. Right. The things that I got done up, oh, talk to Ethan today. I could check that one off the list. Right. You know, so delay that and I forward it to myself. And so every every morning I have a list and that keeps me when I get up, I look at the list. I always clear out my inbox and then boom, I'm on to the next day. So nice. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> yeah, I, I I find like a lot of the um, best entrepreneurs have that kind of like task list and zero inbox mentality because it allows you to keep your focus on most important things. And especially if you can clear out all the clutter, like your inbox, for example, which can often be the biggest clutter or your social media messages, which for a lot of people tends mm -hmm. to be like the mental clutter. Mm -hmm. You can focus down on that task list and hit the most important things. And then, you know, speaking on most important things, I'm curious if, in your opinion, there are, are factors that you think were more important in contributing to you being named one of the best uh, management companies in San Diego and, and also how you've 
maintained there for five years. Yeah, I think it goes back to the core values and the demand for excellence, you know, that we have at the, at the company. And, um, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this before um, I printed it out here so I can refer to it if I need to. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this because there's um, a lot of talk about company culture. Oh, they've got a great company culture. And um, what I found was despite having what I call good guiding principles and strong values that I've established for the company, as a CEO, you can't snap your fingers and expect that to be the company culture. People may try, people may, uh, people who don't get it are going to be faking. And so it's only through uh, the gradual course of time of having that, um, having those core values and principles stand the test of time where eventually the right people are in the organization to carry that ball, right? And then once you have that sort of momentum of company culture, then anybody who comes in to interview, anybody who looks at the company, anybody who who likes what they see is going to see this contagious sort of culture of customer service and service level agreement and the expectation of responsiveness and uh, ethics and all the things that we want to stand for. So I think that's what has helped is having that from the very beginning, kind of that built to last mentality with the core values, the principles in place that has allowed us to get to that level. I mean, relatively quickly, it's been a long, hard, it's been a long time. It's been hard. You know, anybody who thinks that uh, starting a company like this, especially in this industry is easy. Well, I got news for you. It's not, and it's gut wrenching and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a long road, but, I think we're there now. We still want to grow. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's it. I think that's kind of maintaining that and that maintenance of the core values and the culture. That's on me. Right. Um, Occasionally I see it getting off course or, um, you know, there's maybe some course correction. Somebody's taking the rudder a little bit in the wrong direction. That's got to be corrected. And and people are watching, you know, the staff and the employees are watching. And if that doesn't happen, then, um, you know then you, you, you sort of risk losing that over the course of time. It, it becomes a part of the new culture, right? If you don't keep well, your... If you, if you allow it, let it slip away. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I did, and I, I think there are a lot of property management companies out there that probably also run on EOS. I don't know if you've ever heard of EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Ooh. It's a program and a system for pretty much companies at all levels, right? Startups, midsize, large corporations. But it's a fundamental set of principles that say, hey, if you are scoring well as an organization in these six categories, I'm not going to go into the details of EOS, but I would encourage anybody to look at it who's wanting that sort of drive, you know, that that push to get their employees all on the same page. EOS is a great way to do that. And we take uh, EOS surveys on a regular basis to make sure as a group, you know, as a leadership team and as an employee team, we're, we're staying true to those uh those, the, the, you know, to the EOS models and the direction, the guide that the EOS platform gives us. Yeah, I've actually seen EOS talked a lot about in um, the property management mastermind group on yep. Facebook. Yeah, those guys are big into it. Yeah. Follow that. Let's like dig into culture though. And I could spend hours talking about core values right? and company culture. Yeah. So we'll, we'll try and uh, keep the conversation somewhat confined so we don't let it run away. But I, I'm curious if, can you maybe share some more details on the core values that you emphasize 
uh, at North County? Yeah. Um, I look at four different areas. Uh, one is, you know, and every, a lot of companies have a mission statement, right? I mean, that's not uncommon mm -hmm. to me. Um, uh, and, and, and I'll get to values here in a minute because that's kind of fourth on the list. But uh, a company mission, in my view, should stand the test of time. It should be a high level direction where, you know, something you want to achieve. And oh, by the way, that just happens to apply to property management in our case. For our company, our, our goal and, and what we strive for every day is to exceed our stakeholder expectations in quality and cost through positive engagement and continued improvement. So that's kind of our mission, right? That says it up front. And if you're coming in looking to join our company and you can't do that, you know, you can't strive for continued improvement and, um, you know, exceeding stakeholder expectations, then it's probably not a place you should sign up to work, right? And then our company vision, of course, is to dominate the San Diego market. No, I'm just kind of kidding. But to, you know, to be, to achieve and, and stay in a premier position as a property man, a top property management company in San Diego County. Yeah. Then I call what, these are kind of Bob's, we don't call them Bob's guiding principles, but I wrote them, right? They came from me. Ooh. And that's just some of those built to last aspects, like always be leveraging the best business and marketing technologies. Now I'm going to, preface that by saying you have to be able to afford it. When we were small and growing, we couldn't necessarily hire Latchel because number one, it probably didn't make sense because we were pretty small, but number two, I'm not sure we could afford it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but it's important to be committed to that in terms of a guiding principle. So when you hit one of those hurdles or one of those benchmarks of trying to get up to the next step, you take a look at that of, okay, what, what can I do to leverage? What can I do to improve efficiency? And of course, in our business, also another guiding principle of ours is financial accuracy, legal compliance, and then always be pushing on innovation and creativity. You know, you, you ha have to do that. And not everybody in the company can be creative. I mean, that's just not the way it is. Some people are executors and that's fine, but it has to come from somewhere. And I kind of end up playing that role of, I'm the one who's like, pushing everybody to be creative, to try new things, to test their boundaries and to, you know, constantly push to advance the company and to maybe new things that, that make us uncomfortable, but it's the right thing to do. And then I guess the fourth thing is the company values. By the way, we have a graphic where the, the, these four categories are in kind of a circle and it surrounds our stakeholders, who I consider to be our property owner clients, our tenants, and also our vendors that we work with on a daily basis. And the company values are surrounding a customer service, a customer first attitude, always every day, transparent communications, accountability and follow through high professional and ethical standards, teamwork and collaboration. And I think one of the most things, most important things for company culture is having a trustworthy and respectful environment. You know, if you can't trust your teammates, then you're going to have a political environment and you have to be able to trust, trust your staff and your teammates. And, uh, you know, when I spot people who aren't maybe following through like they should or they're um, not making the grade in terms of the job that they sit in, and one of the first things I tell them is, hey, look, if, if I can see it, don't you think your teammates are noticing this? You know, if, if you think that people aren't noticing that, oh, you skipped that meeting or, you know, you didn't call in on time for the Zoom call or that, yeah, you came to that meeting, but you didn't have much energy because you were hungover. You don't think people are noticing that stuff? 
you know, you got, you got, yeah. You know, so it's kind of interesting, but um, so those are the things in terms of company values that I try to build on and that's where we're at. And then uh, the objective, we always have objectives, right? Um, mm -hmm. These are kind of the outcomes we strive for, which of course is to maximize the value and profit for our clients, right? That's, that's the bottom line is it's great to have all these values and guiding principles and things we strive for. But if you're not achieving your objective for your clients, then it's all for naught. Yeah, makes sense. You know, I think the it's kind of interesting because it, you look at all these companies and in any any industry, and a lot of the fundamentals of like the core values, uh, well, at least in companies that document these things and publish them and share with the team, they're written differently and they they cover like these a breadth of topics. But a lot of the fundamentals I see like as recurring, um, like I'm. I, Part of the reason what made me think of this is I'm thinking about Latchell's core principles and how aligned they are with yours. Things like being obsessed about customers, you know, customers first. Yeah. Um, we have one that uh, kind of matches yours in terms of transparency, but we call it eliminating ambiguity. I like that. I remember uh, you telling me about that. Yeah. Um, I think you, you mentioned teamwork and building trust, and we have the same one: earning trust with teammates. But we also mean earn trust with you know customers. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, but I think where a lot of companies fail is they come up with the core values, they publish them and they think that's my company culture. Um, there's a great book that Ben Horowitz recently, uh, published called, uh, what you do is who you are. And I think the thing that most uh, entrepreneurs and founders forget is it's up to you, right? So. Bob, it's up to you to set the culture of North County. It's up to me to set the culture of Latchel, not by just posting some core values, but we actually need to live them and we need to do them right. every day. And we need the employees to do them too. So I'm wondering, like, are there certain things that, I know a lot of this stuff I think tends to be done unconsciously, which is the hard part about it. But are there any things that you've intentionally like brought to the surface as things you regularly do to help reinforce that culture that maybe any listeners can model? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, I think we have a good culture here at the company, um, but I'm not sure it's because of me. I mean, I think um, there's, a, there's a need for it to come from the top, but like I kind of said earlier, you can't just write a bunch of things down and put it up on a poster in your office and expect that your employees are going to be able to recite it by gunpoint. I mean, it's got to be something that they that they absorb, that they live, and that they get over time. And a lot of that absorption or <laughs> osmosis, whatever you want to call it, comes from yeah. the guy who's leading the company. So I do take responsibility for that. And when we when we've hit times when I haven't felt the culture was right, then I really take that to heart. So there are some things that I believe in. Uh, we have a company staff meeting every Friday. The, the entire the entire company comes in. It's very transparent. Um, people are able to ask any question they want without criticism. It's an open environment. And I think that develops that kind of sense of trust and feeling that they're a part of going somewhere. I have quarterly kickoff meetings, one-on-ones uh, -on with every single team member on a weekly basis. So this is a mandate within my company. I do it with my team. Anybody who has direct reports is required to have one-on-ones. And, um, and so those are the kind of some of the cultural things we've built in that allow people to 
buy-in, I guess, mm-hmm. and also sets the expectation that we're going to delegate and that I expect people to do what they say they're going to do and complete their assignments. And okay, hey, we're giving you these actionable goals for the quarter. That's part of kind of the one-on-one process and the uh, quarterly meetings is to set actions. In EOS speak, they're called rocks, right? So everybody has rocks and there's an accountability chart. So this all kind of comes um, from the EOS model. But that builds this culture, you know, of no politics. Everybody knows what the other person's job is, right? And so it's really important for you to do your job, whatever that role is, Ethan, so that the guy who's sitting across the aisle from you, whatever his job is, they know that they can count on you. And then we report back every every week at our company meeting, you know, we're kind of going around the table and everybody's giving a report. So cool. it's a very Silicon Valley-like environment, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm certain you guys probably adopt some of those things and, you know, came from my experience during Silicon Valley, but I'm amazed how many, how many companies and how many entrepreneurs still don't have that sort of open kimono approach within their company. Yeah. I think in like the, the tech world, it, it would be like a daily stand up or uh, a weekly yeah. kickoff or a weekly yeah. retrospective, these types of things. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, okay. Funny because then uh, COVID hit, right. And I still remember, we had uh, our last in-person company meeting, company staff meeting on Friday the 13th in March. And uh, I, COVID, I know, right? COVID was starting to raise its ugly head, but we were all looking at each other going, okay. Uh, at that time, it, they, people were still kind of saying, hey, the safest place to be during this pandemic is working for a small company. So we were kind of looking at each other. Okay, we, you know, coming back on Monday and everyone was, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, and then I remember going home that night, not sleeping. And then, you know, the shit had kind of hit the fan, right? Uh, Gavin Newsom, our governor, started announcing that he was, you know, closing bars and this was happening and this was happening. And he was shutting down, uh, you know, San Francisco shut down. I think your your city was probably one of the first, right? Yeah. And uh, so I'm just over the weekend going, oh, my God, you know, I, I cannot ask the people to come back in on Monday, right? And so I spent all of Sunday writing all of the remote work policies. And I'd never thought remote work in this line of business could work. And I was never a big fan of it. Well, now we've proven it. We can do it. But yeah, so I was like, I just like, okay, got to jump in on this, make this happen. Here's what every person has to do by Monday and be on the Zoom call at 9 a.m., right? So got to download our VoIP app onto your cell phone. Got to make sure it's on your desktop. You've got to you know, have access to Microsoft Outlook and all forms so you can do that remotely. All of, all of the apps and, you know, Latchel, right? Got to make sure you got that a bookmark, um, all the other tenant turner, portfolio, all the, all the things we deal with. Mm-hmm. And then we started having daily Zoom calls <laughs> every day because I'm like, all right, I want people up and edit by no later than nine o'clock. And um, that was an interesting cultural adjustment right there. And people liked it. You know, it's kind of like you call you said it's kind of like the the check-in or the morning huddle or yeah. or the uh, squawk box call whatever you want to call it and um yeah we could just kind of talk openly hey what's going on any new problems you know go get them ready break and it was you know typically would only last uh, 15 20 minutes are you still remote or are you back in the office now well some of us are back in the office uh distancing appropriately i would say personally i'm about 50-50. I was kind of fortunate in that my wife is a professor at San Diego State. And so her semester 
before the spring ended in mid-May. So I've kind of had control of the home office space <laughs> uh, all of May, June, July. And now we're getting into the time when she goes back to school and she's going to be all remote. So all of her classes, wow. everything's going to be remote. So I'm starting to come back in and, and work at the office. And, uh, you know, there's still the need to come in, pick up keys, do some of those kind of things. It just can't be done from home. But for the most part, I would say uh, most of us are working remotely. Do you think you'll continue that? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's fascinating. My lease is up um, next June. And it's going to be a fascinating discussion with the landlord because do we need this bright, shiny office? We've got a pretty cool office here. Do I need to have this overhead in my business or do I need a, just a smaller office with little, you know, hotel like hoteling, I think is the term for it, where you have these little stand up pedestals where people could come in with their notebook and set up, plug in, use the printer if they need to. Right. And then maybe a conference room. For, for a meeting, if you need to meet with a customer, otherwise everybody's working remotely. So these are some decisions that are not unique to North County Property Group. I'm sure a lot of companies uh, around the world are wondering, huh, wonder if we really need an office or could we just run this company remotely for the rest, you know, for the foreseeable future. And uh, I think a lot of it is going to put, is going to de depend upon how commercial, commercial real estate landlords, you know, how they respond. How they handle it, yeah. To a certain extent, I, I think uh, the interesting thing about going remote is a lot of the principles that you need to build a core company that's located in one spot are the same principles to run effectively remote. Yeah. And so if you've built the right processes for your company and then you're going remote, that transition tends to be a lot easier. So if you have the right communication channels in place, if you're like documenting and knowledge sharing, doing your stand-ups in, in the appropriate ways, probably feels like less of a jump. I'm curious for you guys, uh, did that translate? Yes, I think it's a good point. And it did translate because we've got good people and people who want to do their job. And you know, we're having our, we've stopped doing the daily meetings now. We did that for about three months. And I think it was in June. I finally said, Hey, this seems overkill. You know, we don't need to make everybody connect. And then it's like anything new. No, not really. Is everybody's doing their job. I think one of the biggest benefits was for me, um, because, you know, in the office, I would come in every day and, you know, seven to seven kind of guy. And, uh, I have a, my, my, the front of my office is glass, so I can see pretty much what's going on everywhere. And, you know, this anxiety is like, God, are people really going to be working as hard remotely as they did when they were in the office? You know, what are they, what are they going to be doing? Are they going to be not getting up and getting to work until 10 o'clock in the morning? Like these anxieties crept in right away. And it was one of the reasons Ooh. why I was always not really in favor of allowing someone to work remotely. But um, seeing how the staff has responded it's just taken this, that anxiety off of my shoulders. And now I can, it's more restful for me because I know people are going to do their job. And what do I care if they're doing it at midnight or if they're doing it at nine in the morning when that was kind of typically when the office, they were expected to be at the office, you know, it really doesn't matter. And so uh -huh. this is one of the ahas that has kind of come into, into my way of thinking. And it's really changed the way I look at, look at things moving forward, including, you know, kind of the aspects about the office. Yeah, I think in some ways, too, when you make that remote transition or just if you're remote in general, 
it certainly can expose the folks that otherwise you may not have caught as bad culture fit. Yeah. Um, that's at least by the experience at Latchel that uh, by being remote, it sort of puts folks into, into a culture pressure cooker in a lot of ways. And it's uh, much faster to see those people that aren't quite cut out for that type of environment. Um, so I don't know what your experience was there. If you want to talk on that. Well, I mean, we have a small company. We only, you know, we only have eight people, right? So it's not like a large company that always like Google says, okay, we're all going to be working remotely. And, you know, there, there may be some, um, some angst that people are missing sort of that. Okay. I kind of like walking into the coffee room and seeing everybody and seeing the guy from accounting that I never get to see. And, and now that they're remote, they don't really ever get that chance. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were seeing each other on a daily basis and we still do uh, either, you know, through zoom or, or through our conference calls and uh, not every day anymore, but so it's a little bit different and like our company meetings, everybody attends. So it's not like there's a small team and then that team has uh, people that report to them and kind of cascades down the hierarchy. We're just all one big, you know, team and family. And so I think it's reduced some of that. Um, but, but, but it, but I tell you, it, uh, the one thing about doing the daily standup is that those questions that I might sometimes ask on a one-on-one uh, when we were doing the nine o'clock daily meetings, those sort of get asked in front of everybody. <laughs> right? And, and so, uh, sometimes I know the team didn't like that, but after a while they adapted to it, like, Hey, better, better have that done and ready. Cause Bob, you know, Bob's going to ask you, you know, yeah. it's not meant to put people on the spot or, or put people on trial, but it's just like, Hey, you said you're going to do this. So come on, we'll, you know, give us a status. And, uh, so that's been a little different too. I think people have responded to that pretty nicely though. Great. So I, I want to get to two, two other items. Cause I know yeah. we're, we've only got 15 minutes left here. Um, first I want to come back to something you had talked about earlier. You, you talked about, uh, the importance you place on reviews, particularly like you personally responding to bad reviews. You know, we have learning more about your company's culture. I can see why your reviews are as powerful as they are. 4.8 out of five stars is not easy, especially for this industry. Um, every person on your team that does any kind of interaction with, you know, your stakeholders has to be doing an A plus job for you to be getting positive reviews like that. So I'm curious from your perspective, can you just talk about the importance that you place on your online reviews and why it matters? Well, you know, there are all the stats out there that say that a lot of consumers, whether it's in our industry or whether you're looking for the best, you know, burrito in town or whatever it is, place mm -hmm. a lot of weight on online reviews. So I think it's really important. Um, you know, and then in a business like ours where we're trying to rank on Google, I mean, there's some other <laughs> subtle reasons for doing it, right? Because you want to get a lot of reviews so that Google pays attention to you and, and gives you a better organic ranking. So there are some other things like that, but um, they're just really important to me. I think more, more even than your Google ranking and uh, showing other people who are potential clients what you can do, I think it's a real pat on the back when we get a good review for our team, mm. you know? And so I mentioned earlier that I'm not bashful. If someone says, Hey, you're, you're a guy, you know, Jacob or Brett or, you know, whoever did a really good job. And I'm not bashful about, Hey, you know, what would be, you know, what would make their day put a skip in their step 
if you went on Google and you told them that in a review, would you be willing to take a couple of minutes to do that? So I do that all the time, right? And um, and usually it's like, yeah, really? That would that would make a difference for you guys? Oh, absolutely. And not just for the online presence, but for that individual. Yeah. Uh, to be called out, you know, online and get some ink, that's a big deal. So those things are really important as well. I think um, more recently we've tried to consolidate where we're trying to get good reviews too. I mean, it can get kind of crazy. There's Facebook, there's all these different places. Um, but for the most part, we're focused on Google. Yelp kicks in every now and then. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a really important thing. And by the way, I respond to all reviews, right? Not just the Ooh. bad ones. I respond to the good ones too, because oftentimes, especially now, it used to be that I knew every single owner in our portfolio personally, because I was the one bringing them on. Yeah. All that, all that business development, going face to face with clients in the early days, that was all me. So, but today that's only now probably 20% of our portfolio because we've grown so much. And my son, Brett is doing a better job at BizDev than I ever did. So it's a way for when, when we do get a good review from a tenant or an owner or a vendor or somebody, it's a way for me as a CEO to kind of have kind of some indirect FaceTime with somebody, cool. if you will. say, Hey, thank you so much. You know, if there's ever a time when I can help you or you need to contact somebody here, you know, here's how you can reach me. And it's been pretty effective. Are there any uh, tools you use that you could share with uh, any of our listeners on how to do a better job managing those reviews and knowing when they pop up so you can leave messages or maybe you can just speak to how you do it. Yeah. We use an app called grade us uh, and it's an online app and it's, uh, you know, we can put links on our website. We can put the little icons. It's not, you know, it's not uncommon. You see the little icons, the frowny face or the smiley face and the email signature. Ours happen to be thumbs up, thumbs down. And, uh, yeah, just encourage people to click through. And once, if they, if they click on the thumbs up, then it takes them to whichever platform they're accustomed to for leaving a review. And we get notified. And, um, yeah, that's one way to do it. And they, there are some other tools within there, too, in terms of, writing people like, Hey, thank you so much. Like kind of like an autoresponder type technology, um, that sends them a like, if we know who that person is and what their email is, kind of can contact them, but there's nothing like that personal response in the platform, like on Google, um, you know, where they left their review that, I mean, I think that has the biggest impact. Yeah, that's great. So I want to get into, uh, before we wrap up a little bit more on what you said at the very beginning of okay. the show on, uh, how you focus on, the revenue driving like per unit and what matters a lot is profitability over just number of doors. Uh, before I just jump right into that and start asking you about that piece, I just want to ask one other question on, on creating a competitive edge. I, I think for any management company in a large market, doesn't matter where you are in the country, um, especially startup management companies, imagining yourself getting to the point of being rated you know, one of the, the top management companies in, in that region is probably a daunting task. But what advice would you give to other uh, entrepreneurs in property management to help them create that competitive edge and grow it and, you know, establish some market dominance? Well, there's philosophy and then there's tactics and strategies, right? Um, my philosophy, I think, I've kind of made pretty clear that's build your build your business to last with the best practices in mind and stick to it right 
um, do run your company and do the right thing. And let me give you an example. So in the very early days, I'm like, okay, well, I want a social media presence. And I had this guy, this accountant who was working for me. He's like, do you, have you ever gotten a new client off of social media? And I'm kind of like, well, I don't know, but I don't care because to be relevant, you kind of need to be in social media. And then, oh, by the way, five years from now, it'll help establish our domain authority, right? So I think those are kind of the, some, just one really good example of doing the right thing and sticking with it, you know, making yourself relevant, continue to push on these little buttons and levers that are going to, over the course of time, continue to increase your exposure and doing the right thing, build your reputation. It doesn't come easy. It comes through kind of that domain authority, through building that reputation locally by word of mouth and all the, all the little things that you do every single day. And uh, it's hard, right? It's really, really hard. Stick with it. Stay the course and don't let up. Don't compromise. I mean, I, I guess that's kind of my philosophy in the way we've been able to do it. Um, sorry, go ahead. I think you're going to... Uh, I, was, I was just going to say, I think... Uh... What I, what I love about what you're saying, you, you're emphasizing in some ways the qualitative over the immediate quantitative value, which is like it takes could take years to build a social media presence. And there's going to be a whole school of thought that's like, well, look at the numbers every couple of weeks. Are you driving business through social media? Then why are you spending your time on something not driving business? Right. Yeah. So you have to be realistic about it. But there's the whole qualitative element of deep down you as that business owner, you know what's right. And while the numbers might not show it every two weeks, you know that to build a strong company, qualitatively, you need to have that presence. And there's certain things you need to do that won't be scalable, that will be hard, that will take more of your time than they seem worth. But these things kind of like add up, right? Like how long did it take for your social media posts and everything to add up? until it actually did help your business and it actually mattered, right? Yeah, I don't know about you, but every now and then when I'm, when I'm checking out a company, particularly startups or, or people in this business, I'll go to their blog, you know, and here we are in August. And if I see they haven't made a blog post since, uh, you know, March of 2019, I'm kind of like, wow, man, that's, that's not really sticking with it. And that just gives me um, this sort of indication that somebody's not, somebody's not, you know, somebody's asleep behind the wheel, I guess. Mm -hmm. And social media is kind of the same way. I mean, you've got to sort of stick to it. And lo and behold, along the way, okay, whether it was Panda or one of the Google releases, okay, all of a sudden they brought social media influence and mm -hmm. your authority within social media kind of into their algorithm. So lo and behold, it paid off, right? And so I think that's another reason why we, you know, why we do it today. Um, one other thing I... I was at NARPM. I think it was the broker owner last year in Las Vegas. I don't know if you happen to be there, Ethan. And there was a speaker who talked about kind of giving back. And that was one of those nuggets that I took away from a NARPM event where I said, you know, we, we got to start doing this. And I think, mm -hmm. the, I think the broker owner, I think it was in October. I can't really remember. But anyway, uh, we, I came back and we formulated a corporate responsibility program for a philanthropic cause. And, now we've got a, and it's, again, it's not, it's not necessarily going to lead directly to improving the company or getting new business. It's just the right thing to do. It's, and it, it is a pretty darn cool talking point too, that for every new property we bring on, we commit, 
you know, hundred dollars to what's called NCPG cares, which then has this fund that we allocate out to different charities, either maybe taking care of our own tenants who have been hurt by COVID-19. We use uh, Habitat for Humanity for volunteering our time and also donating cool. and other, you know, other um, philanthropies around San Diego County, but it's giving back to the, to the county. It feels good. It's the right thing to do. And I'm a believer that those kind of initiatives within a company, they kind of bleed out so people can people can feel them, you know, when they when they call us, when they get to know us. And, you know, yeah, we talk about it in our pitch. You know, by the way, hey, here's who we are. This is part of our our philosophy. Our culture is that we give back to our community. We do what we can. So I think that's kind of cool, too. So much of what you're saying, it, I love how much of what, what you're you're talking about in this um this podcast we're doing here is about the things you do that actually motivate and charge the other people in your company, because like the program you're talking about right now, that it's not just about like you, you Bob feeling good about what you're doing, but it's something that makes all the employees feel amazing about working for you in North County. Um, the same thing on the culture values. It's about how do you, have people feeling good about what they're doing every day. Um, same with like the focus on delivering great service. And I think it's a really underrated that um, entrepreneurs like probably don't often enough think about what am I doing to actually charge, like recharge my team, the people I bring into the company and really make it so they love what they do and they feel like what they do makes a difference. Yeah. When you've peppered in all these things just all over your business to, to do that for uh, anyone that. working for you. Sometimes I feel like we don't do enough, but uh, you know, I hear what other companies are doing. Sometimes, you know, like we're not a big t-shirt company. No, the, 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 I found that with t-shirts, the women in the company will never wear them. So kind of what's the point. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm just saying, you know, so, it's, so I have one that, you know, my North County property group shirt, but uh, it's kind of funny. So it's yeah. not a big deal here. Um, I mean, you can do it in, in so many ways, right. But so before we, uh, I know we only have a couple of minutes here. So I, I think maybe a good topic to wrap on is coming back to what you actually said at the very beginning. You uh, talked about, you know, people will often ask how many doors do you have as if that's a meaningful measure of like the business's success, but the real measure of success is the service you're delivering and how, uh, uh, we'll call, I'll just say quantitatively efficient the business is in terms of, well, how much do you actually make in terms of the business model per door? That's a far better indicator of how healthy and robust your company is. Maybe you can speak to uh, just in the final few minutes here about certain decisions maybe you've made to help you actually gear the company toward uh, running efficiently and having a high kind of per door profitability over just quantity of doors. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And uh, am I on a clock here or can you flow over a little bit? Yeah, um, we can flow over. Okay. Yeah. So in the early days of the business, we pretty much took on anything. I mean, I, I'll just admit it. Right. And I learned very quickly that that was a bad idea. We had an agent that worked for us that will go unnamed. I'll just refer to her as agent. And uh, I gave her kind of the keys to the Ferrari and I said, go get, you know, go get us business. I can afford you all these leads, go get them. And she brought back, she brought in a lot of business. Unfortunately, they were, they, the vast majority were pretty much C kind of properties and 
not so great owners, you know, that didn't really fit with my philosophy of what I wanted the company to represent. And oh, by the way, you know, those, um, if you're familiar with the Boston Consulting Group uh-huh. uh, matrix, you know, you've got your stars, you've got your cash cows, you've got your question marks, and you've got your dogs. So, you know, all of a sudden, lo and behold, we had some dogs and the dogs were taking up it's 80, 20 year old. They were 20% of the properties were taking up 80% of our time, either with owners who didn't get it, who weren't willing to invest in their properties or do the right thing there, or with tenants who were just troublemakers and caused problems and missed rent and stuff like that. So I corrected that really early on within the first year of the, of the company. Uh, we still have a couple of those lingering. Um, but for the most part, that was when I formulated the strategy. Okay, we're, you know, we're, we're going towards a different market and you've got to meet our expectations if you're an owner to, to be, you know, accepted in as a client. Cool. And that's really paid off because, you know, we're not the biggest company in town in terms of doors, but as I mentioned, we are, you know, at the top of the list in terms of the average value of a property in our portfolio. And we're pretty proud about that, right? And, and that tells our audience and our target market that, high net worth individuals who have expensive homes are comfortable with us managing their properties because of our customer service level. And it also, you know, is clear that we're used to dealing with high net worth tenants. I mean, that's not always easy. Right. And so that's, that's another big aspect of that kind of target market. But those were some uh, tough lessons in the very beginning. And so we still have a couple in our property and I'll just call her Agent X. They're called Agent X properties, right? So those are the those are the ones we refer to them by name, and uh, we still have a couple in the in the uh, in the inventory. But for the most part, you know, the um, challenging ones now, for the most part, in our portfolio tend to be the question marks, right? That that's where you have this beautiful property, and we're making good profitability from it, but maybe you know the owner isn't such a great, you know, maybe the the owner isn't so great, or there's mm-hmm. something kind of puts it into this question mark. And then of course, you know, you're all, all shooting for the cash cows and the stars, but that's kind of how we look at it. So we do, we rate our, we rate all of our properties. We rate our owners and, and we track it. And, uh, is this like part of a, uh, like an interview process to bring in a customer? Do, is this more after you bring them in and you deciding like, do we keep, keep moving forward with them or do we fire our oh, owner? Right. Um, I think, you know, we all want to be dealing with a players, whether it's an a property or an, what we call an A owner and people who get us, who come to us because of what we stand for and people who are going to be cooperative with us and let us do our job. Don't butt in on every little decision that needs to be made. You know, that's the ideal client. Uh, so, you know, we get these, we, we get the red flags when somebody's not going to be like that right away during uh, maybe the, the upfront meeting. Sometimes it takes a little while to, to come out. Sometimes something happens uh, during the course of the relationship, which, uh, is upsetting to someone and um, you know, that's sometimes tough to turn around. So we have resigned, you know, from properties as well mm. house at times, but you know, that's always, that's always challenging to do. And sometimes companies or sometimes clients just can't get happy with us. Very rarely does that happen. Bob, I feel like we could go on for hours and hours and hours yeah. on, yeah. on these topics. So what we might have to do is schedule like another round. Um, oh yeah. I'd love to. Uh, you know, maybe we can let people simmer on this episode for a few months and then you know, come back uh, uh, maybe end of the year, like early next year or something. Um, uh, th- that's meant to be a compliment. Thank you so much for being on the show with all, all the, the wisdom 
uh, knowledge and expertise you're bringing. I think our, our listeners are going get to get a lot from it. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to give you the opportunity, though, to let anyone listening know like where they can connect with you um, or, or any other message you want to give to folks. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, let's start with the company. It's Bob Preston. I'll give you my email, bob at nc as in North County, ncpropertygroup.com. That's also the website if you want to check us out, ncpropertygroup.com. Um, and you can connect with me that way. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, we're San Diego County, California. Also, you mentioned my podcast. I'm enthused about my podcast. It's another area of passion. It's kind of my side hustle. Not that I make a lot of money from it or anything, but it's just fun to do. That's Property Management Brainstorm. You can find that on all the directories, uh, Google, Apple, whatnot. So have a listen, download it. Um, I've had some great episodes lately. And then a little bit about CalNARPM. Uh, if you're in California and you're a property manager and you're a member of NARPM, you're automatically a member of CalNARPM. There are eight also local chapters and regions, you know, regional areas and cities around California uh, that are also under that CalNARPM umbrella. And um, yeah, that email, if you want to reach out to us, uh, will eventually get forwarded to me through the system as info at NARPM, N-A-R-P-M, California.org, not .com, NARPMCalifornia.org, info. So, hey, uh, yeah, would, would uh, love it if you reach out, anybody out there. And um, obviously, if you can't figure out how to get a hold of me, Ethan, you can turn them on to my contact information. Yeah, of course. You can reach out to me directly and I'll connect you with Bob if you need. Um, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. And like Bob said, if you want to learn more about North County Property Group, you can head to www.ncpropertygroup.com or as Bob has so graciously offered, you can email him personally at bob at ncpropertygroup.com. Um, and just echoing what Bob said, uh, he does uh, host his own podcast, Property Management Brainstorm, uh, with Bob Preston. So make sure to check that out. Uh, before we wrap up, anyone else listening, if you're interested in more topics on uh, property management growth and building a great business, you can also head to propertybrew.co. Uh, we do weekly newsletters, all free, where we focus on industry innovations and growth tactics. And to stay updated on our upcoming sessions, follow our Crowdcast channel at crowdcast.io slash Latchel or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Latchel. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Bob. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks, everyone. See you back next week.